Welcome to the Human Conversation Podcast with Jules White, the real dragon slayer, author and entrepreneur sales coach. Tune in weekly for human conversation about business and sales. Enjoy business expert interviews, educational episodes and virtual cuppers with entrepreneur business owners. So grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy. Here is your host, Jules White. So welcome everybody to The Human Conversation. I've got a really interesting guest with me tonight and I am excited about this conversation. So who have I got? I've got Paul Hargreaves. He is the Chief Exec of Cotswold Fair and he's also an amazing author but we're also going to talk about his book which is called Forces for Good. I've got that right haven't I Paul? You have, yes, and it's a pleasure to be here, Jules. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so nice. Um, you know, we met on a mastermind together, so I've known you a little while. I probably don't know enough about you, but I know enough to know that you are going to be a great conversation for the podcast tonight. So I always start at the beginning. <laughs> it's a great place to start. And my question, I guess, my first question is just tell us a little bit about where Paul started. So I was born in Manchester. Um, my mum and dad were both doctors actually uh, so my mum was an anaesthetist my dad was a, a surgeon so you know I had a, a privileged background in many ways went to a, a good school called Manchester Grammar School um, grew up with a slightly more northern accent than I've got now but uh, I, I went to university at Oxford and no one could understand what I was saying, so I had to kind of slightly uh, modify my voice. There were there weren't many Northerners in Oxford in, in those days, I hopefully. <laughs> so I did a did a degree in zoology, which was not particularly useful in those days, being more than thirty years ago. Now, actually, it would be fascinating because yes. obviously a lot of environmental and ecological stuff going on. I came out of university. I didn't really have a lot of purpose. I didn't really know what I was meant to do. I hadn't touched a computer during my whole degree, right? So it was all pen and paper. The only time I touched a computer my whole time at, at Oxford was uh, I went to the, just before I was about to leave, I went to the careers office. And um, there was this very early computer program. Uh, so I tapped away, answered a load of questions. And, and the, the magic worked and it was going to churn out what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Well, that, that's what I hoped. It came up with two jobs for me. <laughs> one, one was an antique dealer. <laughs> I love it. And the other was a minister of religion. Oh my goodness. Yeah, oh. yeah quite spectacular. Yeah. Um, I'm many ways spectacularly wrong. But um, <laughs> in some ways, it, it, it kind of was true. I did end up doing a lot of charity work in, in, in South East London, yeah. uh, which involved churches and stuff. And then um, I, I guess antique dealing is buying and selling. And that's kind of what my business is. So maybe yeah. it wasn't as far wrong as I... I first thought after you leaving university actually as I said didn't know what I wanted to do so I got a job driving a van uh, delivering parcels in southwest England uh, and then I, a lot of my friends were in London and I wanted to, to move there so I, I looked for, for jobs in London 
and um, found a sales job. Oh gosh, you'd never want to be one of them, would you? <laughs> terrible, terrible. Well, the funny thing is, um, I was quite good at it. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> to my you surprise. were. Well, I, I was, um, I was kind of quite up to university. I was very shy, actually. Um, wouldn't say boo to a goose, but I kind of came out of myself a bit at, at university. So I was, um, I did well at, at, at sales. Um, yeah. Really well, basically because and this is kind of coming on to your your area because I didn't bullshit people, yeah. <laughs> but told them you know the truth and yeah. tried to build relationship with them, and uh, it kind of worked. It didn't mean it meant I didn't get immediate results, but longer term, I got much better results than exactly anyone else. Now that that that's just a, a complete testament to my methodology around sales Paul because that's exactly what I talk about so mm. thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure you've driven vans you've um, you've done some charity work so I did the the charity stuff in London in London yeah uh, up till when was I I think 2001 I left London having started my, this current business Cotswold Fair in 1999 so as you probably know doing charitable stuff in the inner city doesn't tend to be a, a huge generator of cash i had increasing numbers of children i've got four now i can't remember <laughs> i think there was probably three at the time and um so i needed to earn some extra money and so i actually sourced a few uh, products from the Cotswolds, food products, and started selling them to delis and farm shops in and around London. Okay. The thinking behind it wasn't all mad because I thought, well, if it doesn't work, at least there'll be some food here for the children to eat. You see? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> love that. <laughs> and some coffee for me to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that's how it started. It started that my first warehouse was the basement of my house in London. I, I was I'd kind of doing this on a very, very part-time basis um, before 1999. And it, it got to the point where it was actually, well, it was taking over more rooms in the house, actually. So the <laughs> bedrooms were, were filling up with products. And the, the kind of decision point was going away on holiday, coming back. And now, do you remember the old um, tape answering machines? Yes. Remember the little tapes? Yes, yes. I do, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, people under a certain age won't know what we're talking about. They'll just about. think we're weird, won't they? But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. So little tape answering machine, that people recorded their message onto a little tape. So it's the same as today. It just was a physical tape. And came back from holiday and this tape was absolutely full up. And um, it was people annoyed that we hadn't answered their message from two weeks ago. And where were, where was their order? Well, this is the first time I knew about it. So I think it, the decision at that point was either it had to stop or I had to do it properly. Now, it just um, so happened that I ran across a guy through a friend of a friend who had just come back from Africa uh, looking to, to do something, didn't know what he wanted to do. And he put us in touch, had a coffee, had a few meetings, and he ended up joining with me and um, a lot of people get asked 
the question you know have you been successful because of being good or f from being lucky basically uh this was a great stroke of luck <laughs> because he was very good at everything i wasn't very good at oh, that's great um, and i've kind of run the business along those lines ever since yeah. so yeah. i've i've i'm not actually very good at much um, <laughs> paul look i've got to well, stop no i'm not seriously I'm not, I'm not. but i am well one thing i'm good at is finding people who are very good at things that i'm not good at. well exactly so, so there you go uh, that's yeah. what you're good at but you know you talk about luck and it's interesting isn't it how we see these things and we say oh yeah well actually that was a stroke of luck but i don't always think of it as luck i think of it as timing and actually, I think at certain times you are meet, meant to meet certain people in yeah. this journey. And, and that was just timing, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and I think a lot of luck, in inverted commas, is, is being open to opportunities. Yes. Um, yeah. So Me people too. who say they're unlucky actually are probably not open-minded enough to, yeah. to go for things when, when things just happen to stumble across their paths. So... That's great. Yeah. So you're you're kind of you've you've become a partnership presumably with this guy. Yes, yeah. So that was in '99. Um, we took a three-year lease on our first warehouse, which was, um, if you can imagine, a a long, thin garage that would probably hold about four cars end to end and slightly wider. Yeah. That was the size of the first warehouse. Wow. And the office at the front had two desks, um, which meant actually there wasn't room for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't there. I was still in. I was still living in South East London at this point, and so I was only there two or three days a week. So my, I just basically based myself at a hotel across the road, and sat and drank a lot of coffee, <laughs> probably far far too much. Far too much caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. But that's where I had I had all my meetings over there. So two years in, so um, 2001, um, I was visiting some friends of mine who were working in an orphanage in, in China. And I was absolutely inspired by what they were doing. And um, so I came back. And on the plane on the way back from China, I decided I was going to, because, you know, you know what it's like early startup business two years we probably hadn't made a penny well no we hadn't, hadn't made mm. any profit at all and i was very happy to do something totally different actually i thought it would be good for my kids to grow up learning chinese so on the plane on the way back i decided i was going to give the business to this guy david who was doing it with me so I got back and arranged to meet him you know psyched myself up and before I could say anything, he said, Paul, I've been thinking while you've been away and uh, actually I can't do this anymore. I'm going to oh. leave. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he beat me to it. Oh, so um, I, I was left with, I don't know, we probably had six or seven employees at that point in Reading. I was in southeast London, which was the bit of a nightmare because it was two and a half hours at least to get there yeah, yeah. so that that's in effect that was what forced me to to move out of London after yeah four. and and continue with this Cotswold Fair yes so um yeah it, it it's it, it obviously it's ended up being what I should be doing I, I wasn't sure about it at the time but 
it was and and it was a growing realization i think that yeah, i've always been a, as you can tell from the background i've always been the kind of person that wants to make the world better for people generally yeah. um and so i'd done that for 14 years in in southeast london now I, I thought i was going to be doing that in china but obviously that got blocked um yeah. and I, I think it was a growing realization that actually business can be used in a way to make life better for people absolutely um, yeah absolutely which took me i was very very slow because i should have probably twigged a bit earlier but well, maybe you weren't meant to twig earlier paul maybe it just wouldn't have I, been the right time back yeah then. well we had we we kind of had because the first three employees went after i joined forces with with david was one was a ex drug addict one was an ex alcoholic and one was a guy just out of prison actually um so out of our first five employees three of them were coming from a interesting background which yeah. um was too much to be honest 60 mm. percent of your workforce no yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i think 10 10 10 to 15 percent you can probably manage but that yeah. was too much having said that the the uh the ex-drug addict was with with us for years and he he totally turned his life around and, oh, that's amazing that's a like to take some credit for that yeah so. yeah no definitely that's a good news story isn't it so i want to ask about um Cosworld fair as i understand it is all about artisan type of products to market yeah so we buy from artisan food producers um and obviously we started with a few of those that's grown to about three i think 350 suppliers now and we sell to generally independent retailers um pre at the premium end of the market so it's farm mm. shops delis garden centers food halls yeah. yeah more and more in premium convenience stores um yeah. and uh, we've got about 1500 customers across the uk that's that's wonderful i want to ask you about retail because i think it's quite an interesting subject at the moment you know mm. the, the layperson is seeing retail on the news in a really negative um vision of big the big names closing the high yeah. streets dying um but you're seeing retail from uh, i think it's perhaps a different place what what's happening there paul yeah so i think um the high street sadly is dying in, in mm. many places but it's because particularly well let's think think about department stores um in fact, I just heard one of our customers uh, is Beals. Oh, they, Beals! They, yeah, they went yeah. out of business last week. Yeah, so sad. Yeah. Bournemouth, yeah. down in Bournemouth. I yeah, well, they they are. They have shops all yeah. over the country actually. Yeah. But um, it, it's a lot of um, food is obviously a very subjective thing. So that's really obviously the area I know about. But a lot of um, generally in retail. It, they haven't realized that what retail is about these days is experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, they've missed a huge trick. These old department stores that are, they, well, they should have done, they should have had nail salons, hair places, you know, nice coffee places in there. They should have done retail, but also done experience Yeah. and they would still be there. I totally agree. And I think what's interesting is my dad ran the news agents now okay we're talking about the pre the local precinct of shops 
and you know the green grocers the butchers the bakers mm. that's where we shopped when i was yeah. a little girl yeah. my dad ran the news agents but i'm telling you now paul the the shopping experience was there in this local precinct of shops yeah. they, they knew how to serve the customers and make them feel like it was a special thing to go and shop there yeah and they're a vital part of the community aren't they yeah and yet so, we've, we've sort of come full circle and and not and not realize that you know we still need that today at what point did we ever not need that yeah we actually supply a lot of village shops yeah. And, yeah. and convenience stores so you know they are a vital part of the community yeah older people in a village some of them don't drive they that if you cut that shop out it's an absolute nightmare for yeah. them so yeah and their social uh, life as well paul the social yeah. side of it yeah you know? so important it's, isn't it's it? quite sad that all the shops you were talking about have a lot of them have died over yeah. the years and yeah. that had a start well, that's just back in 20 years ago when we started um because the super that was at the point where the supermarkets were building out of town superstores they've, yeah. they've stopped doing that now they've gone back to the high street actually with their smaller format but they made great play of all these jobs they were creating well the, the facts of the matter is for every out of town tesco's that was built net loss 280 jobs that's incredible and that's all it? the smaller shops that they were basically gonna yeah. knock out of business yeah. so yeah that, that's the so, reality i mean what what's your feeling about the future of retail what do you kind of predict paul well it's funny you should ask that you you don't know this i don't think but we are actually opening a shop uh in 2021 oh, how exciting. so um i'll probably have a better answer then but um it's a farm shop and it's a farmer who's got the land wants to build a building and then we'll we'll lease it and, and run it but it's two-thirds of it is is going to be in effect experience because yeah. uh, because it's about eating there and good coffee and you know the the butcher the fishmonger etc will all yeah. be all be in the store so um, yeah lovely. that's exciting so i've been you know i write a, a blog and i've been telling retailers what they should do for probably 10 years at least yeah. i've got to put it into practice yeah yeah but, <laughs> and you they'll know, all I, be watching me <laughs> they will they will they'll be waiting there watching paul but um i think yeah i i'm fascinated with retail obviously because i grew up with it from a small child yeah, watching yeah. my dad adored my dad fell in love with sales because of my dad mm, um, so mm. retail is actually very close to my heart and my truly madly baby business was retail of course mm. uh, whereas all my other sales jobs were sort of corporate b2b yes type of jobs and yeah i think a lot of entrepreneurs grew up in in families that had shops actually yeah yeah uh, well i was, I was I think... I listened to a podcast the other day from the states uh, and i've listened to the series at least two of the last 10 were people that had grown up with a family shop or a family business yeah. at, at home yeah. so yeah. it's lovely it can be incredibly inspiring i think when it's done right and yeah, obviously by yeah. your loved ones so look we we've we've talked about cotswold fair and um i kind of want to bring in at what point did this book surface because the book <laughs> is is really fascinating and i do want to spend a bit of time talking about your book which is forces for good so yeah so well at what point did it surface it was kind of um i think i was told when i was at school that everyone in iceland 
wrote a book during their lifetime. And I've remembered that. And I've thought I've always had, since I heard that, I'm going to be like people in Iceland, make sure I write a book. It's not actually true. I've since found out that whoever that teacher was, I can't remember, but it's not true. But Iceland does have more people writing books than any other nation on, on the planet. Wow, that's amazing. I 15%, didn't know that. 15% of Icelanders write a book. Wow. It's because the weather's so bad in the winter. Yeah. I think they've got nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> all those hours of dark yeah so they fish they fish in the in the summer and write in the winter and write books, yeah. um so i guess uh well I've, I've i've written a blog for a few years and I, I guess i've probably been carrying this book around with me for a for a few years even wrote some actually when i was in sweden a few years back i wrote some chapter headings and just never got around to doing it mm. um I don't really know what it was, but I suddenly had, at the beginning of 2018, I just had a real sense of urgency that I should do this and make time for it during that year. Um, I, I, it helps that I've got a very good management team in the business now. I don't need to, well, I've never, I've actually never gone there every day, but uh, <laughs> I, I go there even less than I used to. And uh I got the time and actually that summer if you remember the summer of 2018 was yeah. absolutely stunningly hot so I, I couldn't was. I couldn't write at my work I'm sitting at my home office now but I couldn't write here I couldn't write at work I actually wrote most of it on in the garden that summer right can I just tell you something I wrote most of my book in the summer of 2018 in my Did garden you? wow yeah. <laughs> so those two books probably would have never have come to light unless we had such good weather. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? And I, I start I took a year to write it, Paul, and I started it before that. But I think the real focused writing of that book and the finishing of it yeah, was in yeah. the garden in that summer. It's fabulous. Mm. So it was lovely. And, and the other thing is I'll, I'll be completely uh, candid here. I had a bit of a a health scare that year in about May time. Uh -huh. And um, no, look, I'm fine. Don't worry. Good. But, uh, yeah, I was just going to ask wasn't you. Great. It wasn't great at the time. It, it did. And I was never, never, never going to die or anything. But I think it was a, a brush with mortality, if you like. Yeah. And so I did have, I almost had an increased desire to get, <laughs> get the thing done. Yeah. So my kids would have something to read if I did. Well, it's a really yeah. fabulous book um i'm going to read it again because it's one of those books i think you read it and then you always think i must go back and read that again because it's got such a lot of richness in it for me but that's because i think it follows a lot of the principles and values that i have mm. but i mean there's three words really that that i i took from it which is kind of how you wrote it and that is people planet profit they're the kind of three really key words, which I think yeah. are so important to this framework of what you've written. Do you want to just tell us about that? Because you're obviously the author and I've only read the book. So you know, what, what's your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, it, when you, and, and actually the, the big thing that's happened since I published the book is what I'm saying now is generally accepted by a lot of people. Uh, they know they can't have a business that's just based on making profit. Yeah. It's become more and more obvious, particularly in the last six months, um, particularly with all the climate <coughs> emergency stuff. It's 
I think this is probably why I had such a sense of urgency to get the book out, actually, because it's mm -hmm. coincided with probably one of the biggest shifts in business in, in living memory. So most people now, even if they're not doing something about it, most aren't yet, hopefully I can help, but um, mm -hmm. most people in business know business isn't just about money. I mean, they probably did anyway in the hearts yeah. of hearts because yeah. the extreme capitalism that we've experienced, particularly since the 70s, I think, in this country, is uh, it's very, very obvious now that that ain't working. The last two economic growth periods in this country, by the way, the top 10% got wealthier and the bottom 90% got poorer. Mm. How yeah. can that be right? No, economic growth not. should benefit everyone. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and obviously, the climate emergency has brought all this stuff to the fore. So, I'm a Cotswold Fair is a B Corp, which are companies that have changed their articles of association to not just be about making money for the shareholders, but about benefiting all stakeholders. So that's people that work for you, people in the local community, people of the world and the planet itself so that's kind of ingrained in our dna if you like and mm -hmm. that's what the book's about it's about if you focus on being good for people uh well let's let's think about the ones that work for you if you try and be a really really good employer guess what there's more loyalty, more productivity, more fun at work, and you end up having a better business. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the planet. If you are being careful about the planet in terms of how you run your business, people respect that and they will buy things from you. And particularly, increasingly, uh, particularly the, the, the younger half of society will choose where they buy products based on how good the companies they're buying from are for the planet yeah. in particular. Yeah. So not only is our beacons good for the planet, good for people, but because they're doing the right thing, they actually often end up making more profit as well. Exactly. So when exactly. you haven't got your focus purely on making money mm -hmm. and you're focusing on other things, guess what? The, yeah. the profit comes. Yeah, and that's what I loved about it because it's almost the same as my sales me methodology in that, you know, it's about the customer, it's about the mm. people and it's about the relationships and understanding their world. Maybe I don't do enough about the planet stuff in my methodology, but then I'm not selling a physical product as much as I'm <coughs> selling my service. But it's no. ultimately the journey really in that, you know, actually the profit comes and, and even more because you've not, just been focusing on profit alone yeah well that was all the book was going to be actually those three sections but as i was writing it i guess i kind of need this anyway but i could not finish there i had to add a fourth section in about actually if you're going to do all this then it involves you changing as a person as well mm. so the, the last part is is actually about personal change which is yeah kind of different to the rest of the book but um that's become more and more real to me i mean i'll just tell you a quick story and, and you know we've always been quite good on the the people side and maybe not so good on the planet and a few maybe three years ago i was talking to a chamber of commerce in herefordshire i think and i've 
yeah, I was doing. I was testing some of the things out for the book as it happens. So the the uh, people planet proper. And I put a picture on the on the screen of um, some poor people in Bangladesh who'd been forced out of their homes and were wading through water due to flooding, which is obviously due to climate change. And put this picture up on the screen, and I I I started crying in front of a room of two hundred people. And it was it was it was totally uncontrollable actually yeah. Yeah. embarrassing but um yeah i mean that was a big turning point for me um and i've actually used that slide again and it happens every time so <laughs> but that's good to... because that, that you know again it's showing vulnerability <laughs> it's showing authenticity yes. and, and this is what we want now we yeah. don't want any of that rubbish yeah. and stiff up a yeah. lip anymore you know so actually it's a good thing, I think. Yeah. yeah, well, I do think that as well, obviously. Massively. But the, but the planet stuff is actually about people as well. That was the thing for me. Yeah. It's not just abstract. You can, it's all stats, isn't it? You think, oh, well, 1.5 degree warmer. Okay, fine. What's yeah. what more? But when you see the impact of that in people's lives and um, it comes home and then, you know, the compassion to do something about it. Because change really only comes if you get emotionally engaged yeah. with stuff doesn't it yeah so, i agree um, yeah and i think that's good and that's kind of what i do when i talk because quite often i end up crying in the audience <laughs> hopefully go away and um the world gets a little get, bit gets more better yeah. gets better and and of course the connection with that audience will be huge paul you know they they will remember you and they will have connected with you so yeah. that, that's brilliant so obviously you're doing speaking i'm doing i'm doing a bit yes <laughs> <laughs> is this is this part of the journey that you want to do more speaking yeah so um as i said i'm i probably at the moment i can i'm the ceo of the business great management team brilliant so they basically do a lot of the, the running of the business so I'm probably on it about three three and a half days a week and the other time is to um, speak and get my creative juices flowing a bit more yeah and and is there a, a connection still to charity here because I know you've talked about charity in the earlier days yeah I so, think there's also um, some stuff isn't there that you're yeah still so doing. the kind of story of Cotswold Fair is we, we were pretty engaged in in terms of trying to make the world a better place in the beginning i've told you about those people we employed um and the challenge of a rapidly growing and, and did become profitable business probably years three to ten we grew massively fast um probably an average of 25 30 percent a year wow. and it's difficult to keep up with that sometimes um I, I wanted to bring us back to more of that purpose so about 10 years ago i looked for a project to engage with um and it happened to be this orphanage in in kenya uh, which we've done lots of events i take teams of people out there various people who work for me have been there actually suppliers have been there a few suppliers have been there. i don't think any customers have been but um I mean, yes, it's very, very poor part of the world. We've started a farm there and various other projects. It's three steps forward, two back, intensely challenging. Mm -hmm. One of the best things, though, is seeing people change who I take there. Yeah. And there was a lovely 
story. Actually, I took a supplier who was a dairy farmer in Wales in his he's 70 now. He's probably late, uh, mid to late 60s at the time. And at the time that we've paid for electricity for the village now, actually, but at the time there was no electricity. So you're sitting there in the evening. It goes, I mean, if you've ever been to the equator, it goes pitch black and it goes dark in about 10 minutes. And um, so you got a solar light or two which might last a couple of hours or more and then basically what have you got to do you can you can't read it's dark so you end up talking which is amazing actually uh no tv <laughs> no book so i was talking to lawrence and um he, he just said uh in a quiet moment he said thank you for changing my life oh. <laughs> what uh, you, i've just brought you here we've driven across not the Kenya in a, in a van. Um, what well, haven't changed your life? He said, "Yeah, you have, because I never would have come somewhere like this unless I'd met you." Mm. And I've, I can already tell it's making a difference in the life. Mm. Just encountering that level of poverty, I guess. Most people who go um, end up. Well, the first time I went, actually, I couldn't talk about it for two weeks. After so it definitely back. touched your life and yeah, changed yeah, your yeah. life. And, but that's a common experience. Most people who come with me, they find it very difficult to talk about it until yeah. they've got themselves together when they get home. I think, yeah. um, you know, there's a, there's a massive thing for people who live just, just in this country, the way we live with all the advantages that we have around yeah. us. Yeah. We are not really grateful for what we've done, uh, you know. We're really not. I'm, I think people who follow me know that I've got my son, Sam. He's 15. And every day I try to say him, to him, three things you're grateful for. Mm. Uh, it's just something we've done for years. And I, yes. I'm so happy I do it because I just want him to actually realise how amazingly lucky yes. he is, you know. Yeah, and that is such a great discipline to do. This summer we had a major meltdown moved warehouses and went through hell for at least two months honestly <laughs> I, I can't, you can't tell you how bad it was but uh, <laughs> but at the time i was reading a book called thanks but yes he's a scientist but he's proved that by being grateful people get happier yeah uh, 25 percent happier if you yeah. and i was despite some nights not sleeping mm. waking up everyone and i i forced myself to be thankful yeah. every morning for those yeah. few months and yeah. um yeah we started doing it at work actually as well that's great um, and i think you probably didn't sleep actually because you care you know often these things aren't in a, a massively negative way it's more that i think you probably cared and i had people who were working for me who also weren't sleeping which isn't isn't a great feeling no. is it to be no, honest with you it's not, no. <laughs> it's not, but, what, I, it's not but, what i signed up for but, no exactly yeah. but if anybody does read your book paul you know any of the listeners decide to to read your book I'm, and i will put the links in in mm. with the podcast so they know exactly how yeah. to connect with you i think they'll realize just from listening to the podcast and then reading the book i think they'll realize what you're actually all about you know because it's all quite clear here um, mm. you, you really have got um, a, a really lovely passion about life and the world and the planet and people. Uh, and that's why I connect with you. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So last question. Now, I know you've mentioned the shop, so you can yeah. talk about that being the next big thing. But is there anything else that's kind of exciting to tell us about in your world? I'm looking at a, do you know, the, the unpackaged um, 
stuff that's appearing in shops yes. now so yes. um you dispense your cereal or your nuts into a, a container either you brought yourself or a, yeah. a bag so we're looking at that which obviously is important for us because we sell a lot of packaged stuff and we, we're part of the problem actually in that respect so yeah. we need to we need to move with the times so that's um that's i think i'm hopeful that's going to come off um quite soon uh and yeah the retail business so i'm really really looking forward to starting again from nothing um and all the mistakes i've made over the last 20 years i'm not saying <laughs> i won't make more i probably definitely will but obviously i've learned a lot in 20 years about employing people and and all that stuff and i'm really looking forward to starting again and setting the culture for that new business and it's in a obviously a retail space and making a difference to the the local community that it's it's in as well so and whereabouts will it be again paul it's in the bristol area okay okay and so you know you talk about like oh i only really work in the business a few days a week because i've got an amazing management team Mm. with with the shop coming does that mean you're going to be doing more because you'll be getting involved in that project well i've got the person that will manage the shop (coughs) is already lined up ready um and yes we'll have to form another management team and um is there a second book there will be shall we say so um as i said the the personal change stuff at the end of the the last book is stuff is really what i've been asked to talk about probably more than anything else and partly impacted by my own journey um in the last year um i'm going to write a book on the characteristics of leader leaders Um, so i've got I think it's going to be a kind of meditative type book and a short about, I think I've got enough for about 40 chapters, but it may reduce down to 31, say one for each day of the month on the different characteristics of what is a good leader. This is to end on a, a philosophical note. Most, um, <laughs> most leadership, even, even uh, women in leadership have had this ridiculously masculine way of leading and the, the women are not blaming them. They've had to, to, to fit into that yeah, culture yeah. but what we really need now is feminine leadership and mm-hmm. all the feminine attributes that have been pushed down over the years um need to come to the fore and yeah. that they can they can come through men and women actually but well uh, i was just gonna that was gonna be my question i guess it, do you feel like men can actually uh, create those traits and and use them because i think they're there sometimes yeah, yeah. i mean it's about been... yeah it is about having balanced leadership teams as yeah, well and, and my own is is 60 women and 40 percent men so yeah, I, I think that's great that's um, really great but yes it's uh it's important. And how many wars would there have been in, in, in history if women had been leading countries? You Not know, very think, many, yeah. No. yeah. It's, a great, it's a great way to end, isn't it, our human <laughs> conversation. But Paula, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I knew I would. And I think there's, there's so much richness in this conversation. This is absolutely now what we need to be doing. We need to be thinking about it being people first, planet most definitely we all know that and and then the profit just does come you know Mm. we've got to get a grip with this and take the risk Mm. because it definitely definitely works so so thank you for your input and your fabulous conversation thank Um, you for having me
that's a pleasure and I wish you loads of luck with the shop I, I shall be watching and waiting to hear all the news around that I'll invite you to the opening. Oh, please do. Yeah, that would be amazing. I really mean it would be wonderful. And then we'll be waiting for the second book. Um, and I'll make sure that everybody's got the links in the podcast so that they can connect with you. And, and I hope, listeners, that you've enjoyed our conversation. It's always wonderful that every single guest I have is very different and is very unique, which is what I talk about, the unique human proposition. And uh, Paul's definitely brought some food for thought for us. Did you see what I did there, Paul? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Just she's rolls only, off the tongue. She's only here for one night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. And listeners, please follow us. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify, we're on Stitcher and we're on SoundCloud. And we also publish this on YouTube. We want lots of likes, comments, we will definitely answer. And tune in next time to The Human Conversation where I'll be speaking to another amazing guest. So, ta-da for now. You've just been listening to The Human Conversation podcast with Jules White. To find out more about the other work that Jules does, please visit her website, www.liveitloveitsellit.co.uk. And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy her show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.